Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, welcome, uh, Awaken, to this virtual gathering. It's good uh, to have you with us. Thanks for making this a part of uh, your day today. Uh, the first uh, thing we're going to do is sing together like we often do. Um, this first song is an invitation. It is the voice of God inviting all of us to come, uh, come to him. And uh, in that spirit, um, and in the very inclusive spirit of that, uh, I wanted to start off with a little bit of a meditation uh, taken from the Mennonite community um, and inspired by Matthew 11. So listen to these words as we prepare our hearts to be invited to come today. And Jesus said, come. To the lighthearted and the heavy-hearted, he said, come. To the well-off and the cast-off, he said, come. To the youngsters and the oldsters, he said, come. To the faithful and the faithless, he said, come. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, let this hour of worship find us resting in you. Amen. Let's sing together. Come all you thirsty, I'll give you water to drink. enough to sleep and come all you people you oppressed and hurt who lost your dignity and your value in this world So listen you, who have ears to hear, who have feet to walk, who have eyes to see, come be near me. No more 
My name is Mandy. I'm the Kids Community Director. I want to start by saying I am loving getting to see everyone using their boxes. I've gotten a lot of emails and pictures and um, Instagram shares that it is going well, and I'm really happy to hear that. And with that, I want to announce that next month's registration is up, and, and some of you have already registered. But for those of you who haven't, it'd be awesome to know whether you're getting a box. Um, the theme for next month is to see, and there will be a lot of gratitude and um, another Bible, gratitude experiences and another Bible story and lots of activities, more activities to go with those. So I look forward to hearing from you guys about all that. Um, so today we are talking about another prophet. Most of you know the classic Bible story of Jonah and the fish. And for those of you who aren't familiar in its, with the story in its entirety, I really encourage you to read it. It is not long, right? Just four chapters. Read it right from the Bible. Um, it's not a long one, and it is packed with so much goodness. Um, as we continue learning about the prophets, especially from the Old Testament, I'm going to be asking three main questions. So I want you to listen for those towards the end. First, we're going to talk a little bit about the story of Jonah. Um, but while I'm talking about that, I would love kids to get a piece of paper and just doodle and write some important letters. J-E-S-U-S. -S. That spells Jesus. So get a piece of paper. Just spend time while you're listening just writing Jesus in really cool letters or however you want to do it. So, and kids, also, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open them up to Jonah 3. We're going to jump 
kind of towards the end of the story, where Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. He had a hard time getting there, we know that, because he truly just didn't want to go. He tried to run away from God, and we know that never works, and it it didn't work for Jonah as much as he tried. So he finally made his way to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is a city in Assyria, which is just over the border from Israel. And Israel and Assyria have a long history of war and battles. The people of Nineveh were Israel's enemies. Jonah knew them as his people's enemies. Does that explain maybe a little bit why Jonah didn't want to go? Jonah was asked to go there from God to rebuke them, to tell them that God would destroy them if they didn't turn to him. Again, one of those messages, would we want to give? I know I wouldn't. It gets better, though. If you look at Jonah 3, verse 4, it tells us what Jonah told the people. And Micah's going to talk more about that. In contrast to last week's story about Jeremiah, where the people did not listen, this group of people all repented. They all changed, and they all started following and worshiping God, even the king. Jonah was baffled. How? Why? Did his words really make that big of a difference? This is not what Jonah was expecting. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And chapter 4 is where it gets real. This did not make Jonah happy. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes. These people who he considered enemies just got off the hook. They're not going to be punished or disciplined for anything that they did. It's kind of like this. How would you feel if your sibling, who just hit you or called you a name, said, sorry, mom, and got off the hook and didn't get in trouble? How would that make you feel? Think about that. Jonah became angry. He even tells God that he knows of his grace and compassion, his abounding love, and how he is slow to anger. But he still feels angry that God has shown mercy and compassion to these people who have done bad things, who he felt didn't deserve it. And again, we are reminded over and over that our God is bigger. Our God loves more than we ever can know. Our God cares for people even when we don't. If you keep reading in chapter 4, God shows Jonah what this looks like. He provides a plant to protect Jonah, only to then send a worm to eat the plant up. Then God sends the scorching sun and fierce wind, and Jonah is mad. All that to teach Jonah that God gave the plant. Jonah didn't create the plant. Teaching him that God has the ultimate power to give and to take away. If he wants to give compassion, he'll give compassion. It's not up to us to decide who does and doesn't get God's compassion. Those who seem unlovable by by us are actually very lovable by God. God is full of mercy, forgiveness, compassion, and love. His heart is way bigger than ours can ever be. I'm really thankful for this story. It shows Jonah as a human, and I think if we're honest, we can see a little bit of us in this situation. When God asks us, asks us to do hard things, what do we do? Well, it can be so hard to see when others are not penalized for what they have done. We know that we also get to experience God's grace and mercy, and others should be able to as well. But sometimes it's really hard to accept. God always chooses forgiveness first. Although it's not always easy, God wants us also to choose forgiveness So I like to bring Old Testament stories back to these three questions that I was telling you about. I want it to help us to process kind of how we take the story in the here and now. So my first question is, what is God doing for his people in the story? Take some time at home to talk talk about this within your family and have discussion around this. What is God doing for his people in the story? I would say that God is showing grace and compassion to all kinds of people from a disobedient prophet to the enemies in Nineveh. The next question, how does God do the same for us? How does he show us grace and compassion? Talk about that.
who made their sign. It comes back to this. How does God do the same for us? In Jesus, we are reminded of God's ultimate saving, where his compassion extends to the whole world, all of us, from church hypocrites to outright rebels, we are enemies saved by grace. This is good news, right? How does believing this good news change how we live? That's the third question. How does believing this good news change how we live? How does knowing that God cares for us and loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus as our savior, our ultimate example of compassion and justice for all, how does this change how we live? Thinking about our imperfections, just like Jonah's or the Ninevites, we can realize how improbable and unearned our salvation is and give all credit to our compassionate God. We can understand that it is only through Christ that we are free and loved unconditionally. And with that understanding, we can proclaim, either through actions or words, God's truth, God's hope, his love and mercy and grace and justice. My prayer for you guys is that you are living in those truths, that you're hearing those truths as we spend time this month being still and listening and knowing that God is near. We're going to sing a blessing song over you. God give you eyes to see all that is good, all that is good. The courage for anything. May you be strong, may you be strong. May God give you ears to hear His loving voice, His loving voice. Speaking all around you, all around and deep inside. Greetings, Awaken. Whether you're listening or watching in, we want to let you know that we are really glad that you're here. I'm Kathy Solomon, the Community Life Director, and as the newest addition to the Awakened staff, I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are new to our community. If you're new, the way that we connect with you, the, the ways that we've normally connected with you are really hard right now because we can't kind of meet on a Sunday morning. So we would still like to hear your story and find out how you've made your way to awaken. Um, so if you could take the initiative to reach out to us, drop me an email at kathy at awakenwestseventh.com or on our website, there's a connect card that you can click and we'll get in contact with you. There's a lot happening at Awaken these days, which you can find in the Awaken Weekly or on our calendar, yet there's two things that I would like to highlight this morning. Um, the first is, is that this evening, Sunday, October the 18th at 8.30 p.m., Melody and her team are hosting a Zoom worship night. They're going to be, be leading a worship set of songs, mixing in some prayer, scripture, and reflection. But you're invited to come and participate in that. The link is on the Awaken Weekly, or you can go to the website calendar um, to get connected in. And looking ahead, um, Micah and Donna Albinson from the pastoral advisory team will be hosting two listening circles on the topic of Awaken's relationship with our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. Our pastor, pastoral advisory team would really appreciate hearing our questions, perspectives, and input 
um, as they navigate um, AWAKEN's current and future ties with the ECC. So there's gonna be two opportunities for you to join one of these listening circles, either next Sunday, October 25th, or Tuesday, October 27th at 7.30 p.m. Again, you can register through the AWAKEN Weekly, or there's a link on the calendar on the website. Well, that's it for this week, but now let's prepare our hearts and our ears to hear a word from Micah on the prophet Jonah. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, so glad to be with you today. As uh, Kathy said, we are going to continue our series in the prophets, and we're going to be talking about Jonah. Uh, before I do that, I'll just say one other thing, and that is vote, vote, and vote. If you have not voted already by mail or by early voting, I want to encourage you to get out and vote. Uh, we have the privilege and the honor to participate in our democracy, and one of the ways that we do that is by voting. And so make your voice known. Um, if you don't have a plan yet, make one. I think uh, today when we recorded this or tomorrow, the 13th is the last day you can pre-register uh, to get a mail-in ballot or uh, to, to vote early, but you can always register on the day of. So know your precinct, know where your poll place is, and get out and vote. Um, that is my public service announcement to you on that matter. <clears throat> so Jonah, uh, we're going to take a dive into this uh, short but hilariously funny book. Uh, the, the Bible Project, which is one of my favorite resources, calls this a subversive story about a prophet who hates God for loving his enemies, which is a great title. While that's true, I'm going to focus on one short little verse in chapter 3, and my sermon title is called, The Worst Sermon Ever Given. <laughs> Hopefully this isn't the worst sermon ever given, but that is the title of it. Uh, usually the prophets are, are uh, the books in the Bible that are, we call prophets are books about the prophets. Um, but this is a little different in that this is a book, um, or I'm sorry, the, the prophets are normally books about the words of the prophets to the people. But this book, on the other hand, is actually a book about the prophet. Jonah is a story about the prophet, not the words that he spoke. Because in fact, what we come to find out is Jonah only spoke five words to the Ninevite people, the people he was sent by God to go and see and talk to. Um, so one of the great debates about Jonah is how do we read this book? Um, and that usually falls along two lines. Uh, in, within scholarship, you either read it literally, like Jonah was a literal character in a literal place, a historic place and time. Uh, the fish was literal. It actually swallowed him. He lived in there three days despite the acidic uh, nature of the fish's stomach and somehow made it out onto shore and then went to Nineveh and did what he did. Um, the other way you could read this book is that it's a bit um, less literal and a bit more metaphoric, like it's a... Uh, Oh, what would you say? Um, it's like a, a, a parable like Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was a real person. Jesus is his best friend. He wept for him, John eleven thirty five. 35. But the story about Lazarus and the rich man is a parable. So while it uses a character that's historically accurate, it may not actually be a literal story that he's telling. So a lot of people would read it that way. So either Jonah got swallowed by a whale or a fish um, or were to read this metaphorically. Um, to which I would say, uh, Krista Tippett, where are you now? Um, she once said questions, or excuse me, questions beget answers of their kind. So questions like, was the fish real? Um, was Jonah actually in the belly of the fish? How did he make it out? All of those questions, just wrong questions. Um, sort of not helpful. Uh, the African Bible commentary helps when it says this. Quote, there is no point in giving a detailed account of different positions for all spring from a mindset and an approach to literature that is at odds with the African oral tradition that gives precedence to spiritual significance of events and sees the creator revealing himself through the relationships between humans and nature. Thus, Africans, and I would argue Hebrews, ancient people, have no problem with the intervention of an animal and are far more interested in Jonah's reaction to his experience as expressed in his prayer. So, uh, in case you're wondering, I would argue for the latter. I don't read the story of Jonah as a literal record and a historical account for the above reason, uh, the oral nature of the ancient world and the oral tradition, but a number of other reasons we're going to get into in a, in a bit. Um, 
A few weeks ago, I showed you a, a timeline of the prophets. And so on your screen now, you'll see essentially a, a timeline of the prophets. And the first one was garbage. I found a better one thanks to our friends at Forty Orchards. Appreciate them. And this graphic. So you'll notice that Jonah uh, sort of lived or preached between 783 and 753 there on the bottom to Nineveh. And um, Jonah shows up in one other place in the scriptures, and that's 2 Kings 14, where he prophesies to a king in the northern kingdom of Israel called Jeroboam II. He prophesies to Jeroboam and basically tells him that he's going to win this battle, he's going to get all this land, and he's going to essentially succeed as a king. Which is ironic, because then in Amos chapter 6, the prophet who preaches and and prophesies at the same time basically tells Jeroboam that all these things are going to be taken away from him. Jeroboam was one of the worst kings of Israel's history, and so when, Je- when you find Jonah prophesying all this success and glory to this guy, you're a little suspect of him. And, and if you are, you're leaning the right way because Jonah turns out to be an awful character. In all four chapters of the story, Jonah is just awful. He's terrible. Uh, no ifs, ands, or, or buts about it. Um, the structure of the book, which you'll see on this next screen, is very simple. Chapters 1 and 3 are essentially Jonah's dealings with the first the sailors and then the Ninevites, both pagans. And then chapters 2 and 4 end up being Jonah's response to, a prayer in chapter 2, and then a conversation he has with God in chapter 4. So it's quite simple, you know, pagan interactions, 1 and 3, and then prayers and conversation with God, chapters 2 and 4. And the whole book kind of feels like a bit of an SNL SNL skit or a comic book. So if you've ever watched SNL, you, here's what I mean. SNL is like, it's satire, right? It's witty, it's comic, it's, it's funny. And there are well-known characters that we would know, whether they're politicians or movie, movie stars. And they find, we find them in extreme situations doing ridiculous things. So imagine uh, a known character, you know, one of our political candidates or a movie star that you, think, you can think of. And they end up saying ridiculous things or somewhat untrue things. And they're, they, they're sort of the punchline of all the jokes at the end of the day which is a real fascinating commentary on what's happening, what's happening as we watch it. Like they're critiquing pop culture. They're critiquing, critiquing our culture, which is you and I. And we sit there essentially watching us laughing at what's happening on the screen. Like it's very subtle, but that's what's happening. And Jonah is a bit like that. It's like when you watch an SNL skit, it's like it's holding up a mirror to you and I saying like, this is what you're actually like. And I think the book of Jonah is like that too where at the end of the book, it's sort of a mirror and it asks some very deep and profound questions about the nature of the human heart and you and me. So it's a little like SNL and it's a lot like a comic book. The word for huge in Hebrew is the word gadol and it shows up over 15 times in this book. There's a huge storm, there's a huge fish, there's a huge boat, there's a huge city that takes three days to walk across, which actually isn't true. Um, Nineveh was like seven miles around. It was the largest city in the ancient world, but it was not three days walk across it. But it's huge, right? Um, Jonah is hugely disappointed. He's hugely angry. It's like Donald Trump has actually read the book of Jonah and loves it because he keeps using this word huge. (laughs) This book is filled with comic Comedy and satire and tragedy, it is a literary work of art. Whoever wrote the book of Jonah is a genius. Uh, You have unlikely unlikely people sort of shining a light on the would-be heroes, the man of God, to show how utterly ridiculous and hard-hearted and dark this prophet of God has become. All the while, it's turning on lights and it's asking and proposing very serious questions like the darkness that exists in you and I. Uh, the length and the depth of God's compassion and whether or not we think someone else deserves it. Um, The unlikely participants in the story of God's love and justice in the world and what is exposed is the darkness of the prophet and maybe more than that, the darkness of you and me. So here's a brief summary of the book before we look at the, the verse we're going we're gonna to sort of hone in on. Chapter 1, of course, you know, uh, Jonah he receives the word of the Lord to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. He flees. He tries to go to a place called Tarshish. He hires a bunch of sailors. They go out on the sea. There's a giant storm. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. The sailors are like, whose God has brought this storm? They cast lots. They realize it's Jonah who's done it. They bring him up. He says, well, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the God of the land and the sea, which is just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo because he thinks he can flee from the God of the land and the sea by hiring sailors. Either way, they throw Jonah overboard and afterwards the sailors end up repenting. They end up offering sacrifices to Yahweh. It's just fascinating. So the pagan sailors 
Think like Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean. These are sailors. Maybe they're not pirates, but they're sailors. So these people end up repenting and following God. Chapter 2, Jonah's swallowed by the fish. He spends three days in the belly of the fish where he prays a penitent prayer. of. Re- he never actually repents. He never actually says he's sorry, but he says, okay, fine, I'll go. He's spit up onto shore by the fish, and he ends up going to Nineveh in chapter 3 where he preaches the sermon we're about to get to. Five words, the shortest sermon ever given. I would argue the worst sermon ever given. And then in chapter 4, or chapter 3, all, all the empire, including the king, and even the cows, repent. <laughs> And then chapter 4 is back to Jonah, the sniveling and complaining prophet who's angry at the end of the, end of the day because God was more compassionate than he thought God should be. He thought he should destroy the whole city, and he doesn't. In one of the best verses of the book, the prophet says this, He, Jonah, prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? I think that's a great question. I can imagine asking that to one of my children at some point. Is it right for you to be angry about this? (laughs) Oh, man. I wish we could spend more time in this. I could do like an eight-week series on Jonah alone. It really is hilariously funny and so, so sophisticated. The point of the story is not the fish. It's all these nuances and all these things that are happening behind the scene. These crazy characters saying ridiculous things and the sort of mismatch of who you think should be doing this but ends up doing that. So great. In the time we have remaining, I want to turn our attention to chapter 3, verse 4, the shortest part of the book. Uh, after being thrown up on the shore by the, by the fish, Jonah's own death and resurrection experience, with Jesus, which Jesus actually mentions later in Matthew, the book of Matthew, after walking what, into a city for three days, uh, the man of God, the prophet, finally opens his mouth. He's, after all this time, he's about to say what he's been sent to say, and here's what he says. If you'd like to stand for the reading of God's word, I'd invite you to do so. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The word of the Lord. Um, so that's the sermon. (laughs) Jonah is invited by God to go and preach to the city to give them a word from the Lord. And after all this, he gets there and all he has to say is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's literally five words. In the history of the church and God's people, most assuredly, there have been some very bad sermons by men and women who sit in places just like me. But this has got to be up there in the category of the worst sermon ever given with the most incredible results. Five words and the whole empire converts. Oh, my Lord. Like I said, it's five words, right? The guy who hears the word of the Lord. Uh, if, if, this had, if this had been me, right, if I had been like, I got this what message, I got to go to Nineveh, I flee, I get on a boat, a storm comes, I'm thrown into the water, I'm swallowed by a fish for crying out loud, somehow I make it out, I get thrown up out of the shore by a fish, and I get to the city. You can imagine like a bar scene in a movie, like I'm the guy at the end of the bar telling this story, and I leave out no detail, like I spare no expense. This is an epic tale. And Jonah says, 40 days and the city will be overthrown. It's just comical. Oh my gosh. Let's be honest. There are a lot of churches out there, a lot of congregants who put up with really bad preaching week after week, month after month, year after year. But this guy is doomsday from the start. You wonder if God had like post-purchase dissonance, you know, like God's up wherever God is, they're like, hey, let's send Jonah. The other guy, they're like, yeah, let's do it. So they send Jonah. They go through this whole mess, and Jonah opens his mouth, and that's what he says, and God's like, oh my gosh, what is this guy thinking? You know, post-purchase dissonance. Why did we send this guy? Either way, it's the shortest sermon ever given, and in the end, the whole empire converts, even the cows. (sighs) But then, Not only is it the shortest sermon ever given, the worst sermon ever given with the greatest results, but there's no mention to the Ninevites of what they've done wrong. 
like typically when a prophet comes, like Jeremiah, he's, he spares no expense. He tells the, the Israelites all the things they're doing wrong. They're oppressing the orphan. They're, they're oppressing the alien, the foreigner, the widow. They've shed, they have innocent blood on their hands. Like when judgment comes, they will have no reason uh, to not know why in fact they're being punished. But Jonah gives no mention of anything. He doesn't give them any reason why the city will be overthrown in 40 days, nor does he give them any chance to repent, right? Listen to what Jeremiah says. If you really change your ways, if you do not oppress the orphan, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, if you do not follow other gods, then I will let you live in this place. Like there's a possibility for repentance. But Jonah, it's like he wants them to be, to, to be like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Punished. He doesn't, he, he wants them, he wants like the, the fury of God's wrath to rain down on these people. He has no hope for them. Uh, to, to, to top it off, there's not a single mention of God in the whole sermon at all. Five words. God's not mentioned. Now, one time uh, I, was, I was accused of not talking about Jesus for six weeks during a series we do in the summer called Lost in Translation. We were in the Old Testament. I didn't, I, evidently, someone was counting, but I never mentioned Jesus six weeks the whole time. I know that my sermons were more than five words, and I'm pretty confident that like what I offered was helpful to the people of God. And I did talk about God. But this short little sermon by Jonah, no mention of God at all in the entire thing. It's only five words. So, the book of Jonah and this sermon, like, what can we draw from it, actually, if we're thinking about it critically? Um, Situated right in the middle of the book, right at the beginning of chapter 3, this little nugget of a a sentence uh, in a diamond of a book. I would argue brings us to the doorstep of some very profound questions, and it's these that I'd like to end with. First question is this. What God can and does use to bring about repentance? Repentance is a fancy church word that just means turn around. It just means go the other way. So actually, Jonah repented when he heard the word of the Lord. He went that way when he was supposed to go that way. So what God can and does use to bring about the turning, the repentance of a heart. Like, I've been doing this job long enough to know. I've walked out of here on Sundays when I've given sermons, and I've thought to myself, you know what, Micah? That was a pretty darn good sermon, like one of your best. And then I hear crickets. Nobody says a word. (laughs) Nothing. Like, I'm standing here at the edge of the stage waiting for someone to come and say, Micah, thank you so much. That was profound. And usually, nothing happens. And then the next week I'll come and just lay a big fat egg. Like I'm looking for the exit faster than you can say hello. And it's just like people, line, lines of people. Oh my gosh, the Lord has spoken, Micah. Which is to say, God uses all kinds of ridiculous and bizarre things to communicate and reveal God's self and to bring people to a place of hearing God's word. In this case of Jonah, it's the worst sermon ever given. And somehow the entire empire converts. The whole empire, the king, all the people, and even the cows are wearing sackcloth and ashes. It's a storm and the rebellious prophet. It's the belly of a fish. It's a few fish and loaves in the New Testament. It's a widow's mite. Or what about nature, the wind, the ocean, the, uh, uh, a sunset, right? All the ways in which God speaks and uses. My point here is this. Don't assume you know how, when, or through what God will speak. Because you don't know. So don't pretend like you do. And I'm a pastor. And I'm saying that to myself. Friends, the book of Jonah is a surprise if it is nothing else. It is so surprising and shocking that in fact God uses the worst sermon possibly ever given to bring about change in in an empire. One of the worst, the most deplorable empires the human species had known to date. They were awful, evil, And God uses Jonah's crappy sermon. So don't assume to know how or when or through what God might bring about a change of heart or speak or show God's self to you or someone else. The book of Jonah also highlights the great reverse. The great reverse in the upside-down nature of God's kingdom and God's way, God's way of being. All the wrong people do all the right things in the story. The pagan sailors and the Ninevites all have soft hearts and repent and turn to God. The prophet, the man of God, flees on a boat, tries to run, 
doesn't actually ever say, I'm sorry, and then preaches a terrible sermon. All the right people do all the wrong things. It's a little bit like Breaking Bad, if you remember this. Walter White, you know, science teacher, gets cancer, has a family. You're rooting for the guy. You think he's the good guy. And Jesse Pinkman, the drug addict, deadbeat, like, he's the bad guy. And then by the end of the first season, you're like, I'm not so sure Walter White is the good guy or Jesse is the bad guy. I'm kind of rooting for Pinkman on this one. In Jonah, it's obvious that the pagan sailors and the evil king of Assyria are the bad guys. And Jonah, the man of God, the prophet, is the good guy. But as the story goes on, you see the soft and repentant hearts of the sailors and even the king of Assyria. And the man of God at the end of the story is found on the outside of the party, which is a bit like the prodigal son. I would suggest that this story, he's like the older brother in the prodigal son who just cannot get his head around God's grace. Which leads me to Jonah highlighting the worst tendencies in God's people. Jonah is angry not because of injustice, not because of the oppression of the poor, but because God was merciful and kind and doesn't rain down judgment on the people that Jonah thought deserved God's judgment. What we see in Jonah is the layers of terrible and awful character qualities that often, if we're honest, show up in the worst moments of God's people throughout history. Pride. Somehow we think that we're better than, that we've been saved and those people are lost and we've been found. There's this sort of distance that we create between us and them. I feel like elevated, you know, these derelict subjects in front of me. No one would ever say that, but we think it. This religious kind of ethnocentrism to, to, that has me and us at the center and everyone else on the outside looking in. Which leads us to judgment. We make these judgments about people and about any number of things that we have no business making because we think that somehow we're in a place that we can stand in judgment of someone else. When people are asked about the church and the people of God in the world, that's the number one thing they say. Judgmental, dogmatic, arrogant. Jonah reveals the small-mindedness and, and the tribalism. That isn't just in the ancient world. We're still doing it here and now, today. It's quite clear as you read the Old Testament that Israel and the leaders of Israel had a very hard time getting their head around God welcoming the Gentiles into this story. Jonah is no different. He just cannot comprehend the love and grace and the welcome of God that it expands beyond these boundaries and, and this tribe to those outsiders. And we're still doing it today. Right now, in this political season, just watch the news. I've been doing this discipline of watching CNN and then Fox News. <laughs> I, I need a neck brace. It's like whiplash. <laughs> How can you report so differently on the same historical event? It is insane. But it's on display, this terrible tendency within the Christian church to protect our own, to circle the wagons to other, anyone who doesn't vote like you or think like you, because clearly the way you think and the way you vote and the way you understand things is, is the way God understands things. Which leads me to one final question that I think Jonah so brilliantly puts before us. And that is, who is outside of the circle of God's grace and are you open to God's grace surprising you and blowing up the boundaries? The prophet Jonah ends the book angry at God because he knew God would do what he thought he would do all along, which is to be kind and compassionate to the Ninevites, people he thinks are deserving of death and destruction. He cannot wrap his head around the fact that even these people, these deplorable, abhorrent, pagan Gentiles, who are clearly outside of the people of God and the circle of God, are worthy of God's grace and forgiveness. He wants the army of God to drop the bombs of God in judgment on these people. And that's not what God does. So who's outside of your circle? Is it the raging Republican, the conservative, the fundamentalist, the Trump voter? The one-issue voter who only cares about abortion or gay marriage? Or maybe it's the raging Democrat, the liberal who wants to raise taxes on the rich and redistribute the wealth of hardworking Americans. Maybe it's the Biden voter who's pro-choice and pro-abortion. 
What about the anti-masker who thinks COVID's a hoax? Maybe it's them that's outside of your circle. Or maybe it's the person who's still in quarantine who thinks COVID's going to kill everybody. Maybe it's the Muslims. Maybe it's the Buddhists. Maybe it's the black people. Maybe it's the white supremacists. We all have someone who is outside. When we're pressed, we find it hard to believe is worthy of God's grace. So who's outside of your circle? Who do you find it hard to accept the fact that they are a son or daughter of the living God? That they bear the image of the divine? That they're worthy of love and acceptance and belonging, not only by God, but by you, but by me. This is what the book of Jonah reveals. It's not about a fish. It's about the unimaginable things that God uses to reveal themselves to us. It's about the upside-down nature of this kingdom and this way of being human. It's about the ugly tendencies that we are so susceptible to. And it's about the limits that we want to levy on God's grace and compassion. So today, I leave you with this question. Are you willing, are you open to expand the boundaries to maybe even start erasing the lines of the circle that you've drawn of people who are inside and, uh, and, and worthy of God's grace. We would, again, if pressed, I would never say that person's not worthy of God's grace. Come on. But if you only knew the things I thought, and if we only knew the things you thought, I don't think my sermon is landing on deaf ears this morning. So are you willing? Are you open? to God expanding, to blowing up the boundaries to the people who you have a very difficult time wrapping your head around the fact that they too are worthy of God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's welcome, and yours. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we take just this moment of silence before we sing this song together, which is so familiar to our community, which asks this question of, and really is a prayer that you and your spirit and its work in our lives might open us up. I pray in the next few moments of silence that you would bring to us a face, a name of a human, someone that we find it very difficult to believe you love deeply. Someone that we find it very difficult to grasp that your grace is for them. I pray that you would bring a face and a name to each of us and that this book of Jonah would be a mirror and that it would reflect back to us the ugly tendencies that live in our hearts the small-mindedness and the tribalism and the pride and the arrogance, the judgmental nature that we so quickly move to. And would you begin to soften us, to expand us, to make our hearts bigger and more like yours, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, in this next moment of silence, do your work, I pray. me
darkness let me shine light and may your love cause us to open up cause us to open up our hearts may your light cause us to shine so bright that we bring hope in On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So when you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup 
and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is a new covenant written in my blood. And so whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. So this table, a reminder, is the table of the Lord. It's not the table of the churches. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have a little you who have been here often or haven't been here for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come again, not because I invite you as much as I do, but because the resurrected Christ invites you to come and be fed and to be known here at the table. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words, the body of Christ has been broken for you. Take and eat. And as you take the cup, I invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Friends, as you go this morning, uh, it's my hope and prayer that the scriptures are uh, do what they set out to do, that they would be alive and active and that they would make their way into the tight spaces in our hearts between bone and marrow and that they would divide us and open us up and that God would speak to us in those places. That Jonah, the story about a ridiculous prophet who runs from God, who speaks hardly anything and through whom God does amazing things that this would be a mirror and it would expose the ways in which we have run from God and say and do dumb things all the time and make others of what we imagine our enemies to be and I pray that the walls would be of hostility which Jesus came to destroy that they would begin to crumble and that in you and in me, God would be weaving us together, knitting our hearts into one new humanity in Christ. And that that would be good news for the world. So as you go today, know that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lift up, lifts up his face to, to you and is, man, I always get this wrong sometimes. And it's whenever I don't have it in front of me. So let's just start this over. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen and amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on 